0: I'd like you to open your Bible and go to 1 Samuel chapter 30. I want to teach on one word, the word encouraged, 1 Samuel chapter 30. Our key verse is going to be verse 6, but I'm going to begin reading with verse 1. And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day, that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and sons and daughters were taken captives. David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. Have you ever cried that much? David's two wives were taken captive, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. See? There's some things you've got to do on your own. Other people can't do that for you. Help me sing this prayer. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, pure and holy, tried and true, and with thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary. This is one of those stories in the Bible that when you read it, you you can't help but feel sorry for David because of what has taken place. David has had to flee and hide himself amongst the Philistine people. Because of that, he finds himself going back and forth raiding a variety of different camps, spoiling different peoples in order to try to take care of his own tribe and clan that's with him essentially he had become a scavenger But while he's out doing all of these things that aren't necessarily good his enemies make their way to where his encampment is and they take everything you can see from the text that his family members all of their family members and sons and daughters were taken captive and you can see there in verse One, that the invasion came and they burned it with fire. I don't know what that would have looked like in ancient times, but I can imagine. You've been gone, you've got a number of men with you. We know he had at least 400 men with him that gathered themselves to him, and the scripture spoke of those 400 being people that were in debt, they were discontent, and they were distressed. But when they approached the region of their encampment, I wonder what went through their mind when off in the distance they could see plumes of smoke rising up into the atmosphere. Had to be disheartening. Only to get there and discover everything has been burned to the ground and you're going through all of the ruins looking for bodies and you haven't discovered any bodies because all of them have been taken by the adversary. It was so bad that according to verse 6, David could hear the people talking about stoning him to death. That's a terrible way to die. But they were so upset. They had followed him, and because they followed him, all of them now find that their families' lives have been placed in jeopardy. Someone lost a son, someone lost a daughter, a spouse is gone, and that is their life, and they are thinking this is the end of me. I don't even want to go on. But I do want to take the life of the man that I believe is guilty of it, and that's David. This is what it looks like when your ziklag is on fire. When your city is burning down, or has burned down. It looks like a place that at one time was beautiful, but now has fallen into Ruin. And of course, I'm sure for David, the memories are there because he can remember the good times with his family, chasing around the kids. All of the other men could see all of that. But now that it's in ruin and it has burned to the ground, we can see what the problem is. Once the problem has presented itself. Then we've got to work towards a solution. The scripture says here again. That the people cried in verse 4 until there was no more power to weep. I've cried heavily before when I was disciplined by my parents. And I do have memories of crying so hard that it was almost hard to stop. It's like your shoulders were shaking. But I don't know that I've ever cried so hard and so long that I can no longer produce tears. Lost the power to weep. This means they cried so long that even the emotion attached to it had become something that was numb. And when you're connected with a people or a problem or a difficulty that is that great, that you weep your way through it to the point that you feel like there's no reason to shed any tears anymore, that's when you know Ziklag has burned to the ground. You've been affected and it's tough. This man lost everything. You can see in verse 5, his wives are gone. And even though he's greatly distressed, as it says in verse 6, I think there's much that we can learn from this. Now the Bible tells us, thou will give, will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. It's difficult to keep your mind on God when you're in Zi-like harder still to keep your mind on God when people are surrounding you speaking to you of stoning you but the discipline required for you to do what David did is necessary because even though Ziklag is not going to be raised up you're still going to be able to recover that which has been lost the sons the daughters the wives I'm sure in all the years that I've preached and told folks about Christ that I, maybe on occasion i probably angered one or two people. You know, Maybe I've said something that people thought was too direct or they didn't think I handled it the way they would have liked me to handle it. But I don't know that I've ever had a situation where everybody in the church rose up and wanted to hurt me, harm me. I can't think of a time where anybody's even picked up anything to throw at me while I was looking at them. I don't know what happens when I turn my back. But the soul of the people was grieved. What, what, do, what do we do when we're distressed? What, what do we do when we're grieved? What is the, the process of working through this when we're having all of these kinds of difficulties? Well, he wasn't the first person to pass through this. And you can go back to Genesis and work your way up and you can see where problems had had come. Let's not forget Abraham. Abraham's wife basically had been abducted. She was pretty in her old age and a king still desired her. Abraham had told the king she was his sister. And I'm sure it was hard for him to sleep that night, but you know what God did? God made it harder for the king to sleep and came to the king in a dream and said, Don't you put your hands on Abraham's wife, that is not his sister, and if you touch her, you're a dead man. That man jumped up in that bed and looked around, whoo, and thought we need to restore this woman to Abraham as soon as possible. Think of Moses. Moses was a man that met God at a burning bush. But here was a man that had also killed somebody before he went out there into the desert for 40 years. He was separated from the city in which he was raised, he was separated from family members, and he's out here wandering as a man with the price on his head, and he associates himself with a wandering shepherd out there. This man continued to live. Bible says that David encouraged himself in the Lord now how, how do we do that in Ziklag let's let's not forget that when they brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem David danced before the Lord sometimes one of the best things you can do is create an atmosphere of praise You can get the victory over your emotions, get the victory over how you're feeling about the circumstances. In fact, circumstances coming from the Latin, which means those things that are standing around you. If you can get your focus off of what stands around you and begin to meditate on who is above you looking down upon you, then you'll be able to dance. And God is able to put a song in your heart and help you worship him and praise him. So the scripture says David encouraged himself in the Lord. He could not find it in his friends. They wanted him dead. So don't look for your closest friends and your best friends to be your encouragers. We thank God for anybody that will speak a word of peace into our life when there's difficulty. But this is something I've got to do for myself. I've got to walk through the valley and believe God. I haven't had days like this in a long time, but there was a a period of time years ago where I'd get up sometimes and I would begin to think about how many bills the churches had, how many missionaries had to be supported around the world. So many places that I need to go here, go preach here and do that. And I can remember I'd get inundated with all of those thoughts and I'd have a few hours where I literally would just feel like somebody that had a thousand pounds sitting on his shoulders. You know. But in moments like that, the only thing I could do Come down here in the church, go down in the other church, lay in that altar, talk to God, grab a Bible, put my face in the book, and then just begin to remember what God has done for us. You know. Somewhere I've got a list at home where Tiffany and I were driving one time, and I said, Let's do this. I said, Let's let's think about every miracle that God has done for us since we've been married. Every supernatural thing that It could not have occurred had not God been involved. And let's write it down. So I was driving. She was in the passenger side. She started to write these things down. That list was getting longer and longer and longer. And when you begin to think about that, that encourages you. Telling you how to become encouraged. You see the hand of God in your life as he reaches down into your circumstances when things are on fire, when the marriage is in trouble, when the kids are going wayward, when your finances aren't the way you want them, when the doctor looks at you and says there's a problem in that body and we're not sure exactly what it is. When someone gives you a call and says you've got a relative in jail and they need you to come visit them, they've just put grandma in the nursing home. You hear all of that, and it seems like your relationships now are unstable. You're thinking Ziklag is on fire, and God is looking for an opportunity to bless you, but you have to first encourage yourself. Can't allow the adversary to keep you down. Change the environment by changing the atmosphere. Put on some songs that glorify God and stop playing all that music that glorifies the flesh and the adversary. Put on something that'll make you smile. Put on something that'll lift you up and cause you to believe that God is strong. So this is what the scripture says. David encouraged himself and notice how he did it. He did it in the Lord. And that is where you're going to find encouragement. You've got to do this in God. You can't do this in the flesh. You're not going to do this in the world. You're not going to do this in a secular way. You have to encourage yourself in the Lord. David would say, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. I think that if we we do this, we'll see that that God is able to open up all kinds of wonderful doors for us. So once we start down the road of encouraging ourselves, and the Lord is able to begin to do this for us, Uh, and and perform this inside of us is at this point in verse number nine, it says David went and took 600 men with him, came to the brook where those that were left behind stayed. And David pursued he and 400 men. So here's the point. If you're going to go to battle against the adversary, if you're going to resist the devil so that he will end up fleeing from you, you have to be encouraged before you go into the fight. You ever seen a little kid have to go out onto the mat to wrestle somebody who the opposing kid and the the, the kid gets out on the mat and you can tell by his posture and by his movements, he is already terrified of the kid on the other side of the mat. You can see it in kids in basketball. You can watch a football team, the way they walk out on the field or go out on the court, the way they come up to the center when they're about to get ready to do the jump ball. You can tell by the way their shoulders are held whether or not they believe they actually have a chance. And if you have a defeatist mentality, you're defeated before you ever start the battle. You've got to believe that God is able to do this as you stand And as you stand against the adversary and he opposes you, it says, David pursued. David said, I'm bringing the battle to you now. See, the enemies came to Ziklag. He says, I'm going to them. This is how you have to be. Rather than sitting around letting the devil abuse you, fight back. Say, how do I fight back? Begin to meditate on the word of God. Allow your conversation to be influenced by, saturated by scripture so that you're not running around repeating what all of your enemies are saying. You don't even want to repeat repeat the statements of Job's comforters because sometimes your friends will blame you for things you haven't even done. People talk to you and they say, look, things are looking bad. You say, yes, but greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. They say, I don't know if this is going to work out. Said, say, look, thanks be to God that causes me to triumph in all of my circumstances. See? You begin to look at it that way. Scripture says, submit yourself, therefore, unto God. Resist the devil and he will flee. He will flee. That's future tense. It doesn't tell you when. It just tells you that he will. Resist him. Fight against him. And when you do that... Then everything changes, so you don't have to allow the cloud of despair to linger. Begin to fight back. Shout the name of Jesus as loud as you can in the middle of all of that. In the midst of depression, shout hallelujah as loud as you can. I mean, shout it so loud that the neighbors on the other acreage will turn around and say, why is Travis making all that noise? out there on this farm ground see you have to do that I I had a time where I went to a church was preaching on a Sunday morning for a good friend of mine we pulled up on that parking lot a little girl ran up there to the passenger to the driver's side of the door first now the preacher my friend, he saw the girl running across that grass to the parking lot where we were because she was waiting on the pastor's truck to pull in and he bowed his head and sighed and said, oh, I don't feel like dealing with her. So he said. She gets around to that door. She's banging on that window. She's screaming at him, help me, help me, deliver me. I need help. She comes around to the passenger side where I am. I got the door open. I'm getting out, grabbing my Bible and had my coat in the back seat. And she said, are you the guest speaker? I said, I am. She said, I need help. Deliver me. Please deliver me. I said, are you going to be in the service this morning? She said, yes. I said, "Okay. I'll pray for you after I'm done preaching the morning service. I got up and I preached. She never could sit still. She was up and down and back and forth and up around the aisle, up and down the aisle. It was a total distraction. Well, come to find out, she was a lady hooked on drugs and worked the streets at night for uh, a pimp. And this man would abuse her and kept her high all the time. But she somehow knew that in that church, these people were talking about Jesus and it was just like the man that came and threw himself at Jesus feet. There was enough God. There was enough. Or I should say there was enough of her in there where she could still seek out for help. And so after I was done preaching, I had the pastor come up and I told that girl, I said, you come down here now. And this was Sunday morning, front of the visitors in the church congregation just sitting there looking at me, the way you're looking at me now. And I said to this, this, this girl, and I knew she was oppressed of the devil, I said to her, I want you to shout the name of Jesus as loud as you can. She opened up her mouth and it came out something like, Jesus, couldn't even get a sound to come out of her. I said, I'm going to pray for you. And I said, you're going to shout the, the, the name of the Lord. So I reached out to, to put my hands on this girl. I hadn't even touched her. She fell down on that ground. I called the ladies to come stand around her. They all came, stood around her, started praying. And right there in that altar, I just started saying, in the name of Jesus Christ, you come out of her right now. Come out of her right now. Folks, this is Sunday morning. The visitors are there (laughs) and people are looking, what in the world kind of a church is this? I say, come out of her in the name of Jesus. And them ladies have their hands lifted up and they're praying and they're praying. And finally, I got her up and I said, I want you to shout the name of Jesus as loud as you can. I put my hands on her on her head, one on her back. The ladies were around. I said, shout it in the name of G. She shouted the name of Jesus and it just came pouring out of her. She fell back again and just like the book of Acts began to speak in another language. Here was a lady that was oppressed. Here was a lady that was in trouble. Here was a lady that found freedom. See, found freedom. Now there are occasions where people need a little bit of extra help. David here was able to help himself. When you come in contact with people who cannot help themselves, you have to use the name of Jesus and be a blessing to them. David pursued. I wasn't going to run from the devil in a church. I wasn't going to allow the devil to resist me in the house of God. We stood our ground. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1 again. Ephesians chapter 1, notice it says in verse 19 through 23, this is Paul's prayer. He begins by making the statement concerning the exceeding greatness of his power toward us. Ephesians 1.19, toward us who believe, there's the key. Toward us who believe, Ephesians chapter number one. Notice in verse 20, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand. So in Ephesians one verse 20, you can see from the resurrection to his enthronement, there had to be an ascension. He was raised from the dead, he was called away into the heavens, and then Jesus sat down because he was done with his work. He was finished. This is why we speak of the finished work of Jesus upon the cross. He rested from his labors. He is not going to try to do any more for anybody else in regard to redemption. He has prepared the plan. The plan is now in force. He died on the cross. He was raised from the dead. He is at the right hand. He is now enthroned and seated. That's what the scripture teaches. Now, if you look at chapter two, you will notice in verse four, it says, God is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. It talks of how we were dead in sins, how he raised us up together with Christ. Verse six, raised us up together and made us to sin. So here again, resurrection in the life of the born again believer who's dead in their sins, now brought to life by the power of God. And yet by faith, we have ascended in our relationship with God as a son, and we are seated in him, enthroned empowered so if we're enthroned we're empowered well now then you look into the last chapter of ephesians 6 and it says in verse 10 finally my brethren be strong in the lord and in the power of his might put on the whole armor of god that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. But it gives us our opponents, principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, and spiritual wickedness. Notice, Paul begins the letter to the Ephesians by explaining to them that Jesus is far above all principality and power. He's above everything on this planet. Anything on this planet is minuscule and minimized in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he lets us know that that Christ who who was seated by his father, that we are inside him. So if we're inside him and seated in him in heavenly places, we too, spiritually speaking, are far above principalities and powers. So our view and our perspective on things taking place on this earth ought to be different because of our positioning. And when you start the battle in chapter 6, he says... This isn't flesh and blood, but be strong in the Lord. So Paul ensures that the reader of Ephesians knows that before he gets into the battle, he already has the victory. He shows you from the beginning you have power, you have anointing, you have blessing. The battle's already been won. So your wrestling then is not to obtain victory. You have that in heavenly places. You're wrestling against an adversary who's trying to burn down Ziklag and cause you to believe you're defeated. It's a mentality problem. So the scripture is clear. Be strong in the Lord. You have to do that. It said of David, he encouraged himself in the Lord. Then it says, put on the whole armor of God so that you can fight. So these are spiritual battles. We have to deal with the world, the flesh, and the devil every day. And by world, I mean a culture that is totally opposed to Christianity, totally opposed to the word of God. We have a culture that is 180 degrees in reverse of everything God desires. If God says he wants it to be male and female, the culture says male and male, female and female. okay. if God tells parents in the Bible that in your womb you have nations and I called and ordained you while you were yet or before you were in your mother's womb, then the culture today says it's not a baby. It's only a fetus. It's not a person until it it comes into this world. So the culture battle is taking place. We're dealing with principalities and powers. The rulers of darkness are governing this and the church has to resist it. But we must know that there's a devil controlling that kind of attitude. That's all it is. Far above all principality and power. We're wrestling not against flesh and blood. Your problem isn't the politician. Your problem isn't some some athlete or some actor or actress that's promoting open marriages. Your problem isn't your neighbor who believes that swinging in relationships is okay. Your problem isn't the hippie or the high school or the college student that wants all drugs legalized. The problem is we're dealing with a principality and a power that governs them. This is why the wickedness is the way that it is. And if Paul says to us we have to be strong in the Lord, then I'm telling you right now there's no strength outside of him. I love one time Lester Summerall was being interviewed on television and they were asking him about his personal beliefs, about this and about that, and talking about the Bible. And that reporter was going on and on about the Bible is just an old antiquated book and people that follow the Bible are just narrow-minded people and they don't understand the truth. And I love what he said. He said, look, if you've got any problem with what's written in this book, you need to look up because I didn't write it. It was here before you were born and it'll be here long after you're in hell. Think about it. See? Yeah, yeah. The book isn't going to change. So the, the believer then... Has to be encouraged. Now, I understand as a, as, a, as a pastor, if I got up here and I was preaching tired and preaching famished and wore out, you know how difficult it would be for me to encourage you? The man of God has to spend time in the presence of God, feeding on the word of God, and where he or she grazes, he takes the sheep, because if it's healthy for the shepherd, it'll be healthy for the sheep. And if the if the man of God mounts the pulpit, preaches the word of God and he's encouraged in the word, then he will be an encouragement to the people that he's talking to. But a depressed preacher is going to produce depressed people. Happens all the time. You hear people, they say, well, you know, I I went to church this morning, but I, I didn't get anything out of it. Sometimes when you ask people, you say, where do you go to church and who is your pastor. And they just kind of bow their head. And just mumble something real fast. Without really telling you. Because they're ashamed of where they go. And they don't receive anything out of it. But if you're encouraged in God. You can shout it. Let people know about your relationship with God. and Never have to be ashamed. Let me wrap. These thoughts up. So the scripture tells us in verse 18 now praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints and for me that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds here's a man that's in prison as he's writing this epistle but even in prison he's encouraging other people His circumstances are that of incarceration. But sitting in a jail cell with shackles, possibly on his wrists and on his feet, he's able to take the time to encourage other people. So despite what you are facing right now, despite the circumstances you're in, you still should be able to encourage somebody else. Be able to tell them that God can open the door for you and give you utterance. To speak the word with boldness. Utterance. Clarity. Gives you the words that need to be said in season. He tells you and uses your lips to speak to somebody who's passing through. What seemingly is a difficult time. And as you can see with Paul, he said, that's how I want you to pray for me, that utterance be given. So I pray God will give you utterance to minister to people all throughout this week. He would give you the word that you need when you talk to your neighbor, somebody in your home or in their home. If you're out in a business talking with someone and there's a difficulty they're facing in their life and they're saying, look, this, this is the worst thing I've ever had to deal with. Or somebody's saying it, it may seem like a minor problem to you, but it's a major problem for me. And I pray God fills your mouth with the utterance needed to speak a word of life. Because in a world like we live in today, we need more and more people that are encouraged. See? Encouraged. Those kind of folks see the glory of God. David pursued after his enemies, and he brought back what the adversary had stolen. He brought it back. He rescued, and as the scripture says, David recovered all. Think about that. So our lives are about recovery because it's always about warfare. You're always having to deal with loss and gain, loss and gain. The scripture says if the thief be found, he has to restore fourfold. Then again, if the thief is found, he has to restore sevenfold. But if you don't know what the adversary is taking, you don't even know how to pursue after him to get it back. It's like if somebody breaks into your house and takes something precious and you haven't checked out the precious thing in the last 10 years to even know whether it's in the house or not. The adversary can come and take what's yours and you won't even know it. But when they came and grabbed the wives and children, everybody knew somebody had been here. Precious. And that's what the devil wants. He wants to take from you what is most precious. I I, I came through a A a tough time. One time, I think in the first six months of uh, Revival Tabernacle, we we had a a gentleman that was in the church. And the problem was we we had a meeting one time and and all of the people in the early days of the church, they were enjoying my teaching, enjoying the preaching. Wonderful things were happening. But but this gentleman, he, he got mad because people wouldn't listen to him. People didn't listen to him, not because he didn't know how to explain the scripture, but because of how he lived. See, And and I remember having that meeting. And it was just a terrible meeting. Everybody just kind of getting on me and all this jealousy and stuff. Then Tiffany and I had to get in the car because I left her in the car when I had this meeting. Then she and I got in the car and drove to a minister's meeting. And I guess we had 40, maybe 50 uh, non-denominational preachers at this church. And feeling like I was feeling, I got up, and I ministered the word, and then I said in there, I said, how many of you preachers are here right now? in the church, in ministry, but you're ready to quit the ministry right now. Raise your hand. I'm telling you, nearly every hand went up in there. Nearly every hand. Those sheep had so battered those shepherds, and those shepherds were so discouraged that they couldn't even produce life to their own people. All ministries, all churches are a product of ministry. They're a product of a preacher. Whatever gets in there, gets in there because of the preacher. If the life of God is there to be there because somebody's supplying the word of God in all fellowships in churches, take on the character of the one that's investing in the people over and over again. So if there's life in a preacher, there'll be life in the people. If there's pep in my step when I walk, there'll be pep in your step when you walk. If there's dancing in my feet and praise in my hands and on my lips, I can promise you, you'll be the exact same way because you'll be thinking, oh my goodness, if pastor can be that happy, why can't I be happy in the midst of what I'm going through? That's what happened. God simply wants us to be encouraged. Let's stand tonight. The plan of God for all of our lives is victory, triumph. We don't have defeatist mentalities. God's plan is for you to be the head, not the tail. God's never called for you to be trampled upon, but for you to tread on serpents, as the scripture says teachers. so when we think about that we don't ever want to forget when we step out this door and we're out in our communities and we're all out around their county doing whatever it is that we do when we come in contact with other religious people and other fellowships or people who don't know god what they need to come in contact with is somebody who's connected to god yeah i, I bet you if, if if, if I had a connection with a live wire and I stuck it in your hand, I bet some of you would come alive quick, boy. You you'd better believe you'd be, you'd be moving. Some of you that, that uh, don't have afros would have them quickly. Yeah. And some of us who have that kind of hair, it'll be permed. Everything changes. But if there's a connection with him, and there's life in him, then there's life in us. Because remember what Jesus said, whatever's in that vine is going to be in the branches. If there's joy in the vine, there'll be joy in the branches. But the Lord made it very plain that when he comes and he looks, if he doesn't see things bearing fruit, he starts laying an axe to it. See? And there's a lot of things that have been cut down. There are a lot of churches that have closed. There are a lot of ministries that have been shut down, not because of anything I did or you did, but they didn't prune their own lives. And it's better that it's closed rather than it be a misrepresentation of God. See, You wouldn't want anybody to use your name and go out and rob, lie and everything else. And God doesn't want us to use his name then be a misrepresentation of him in this earth when he stands at the right hand ever living to make intercession for us he represents us correctly up there we should represent him adequately down here amen there's no doubt about it this is what god desires come on let's lift them lightning rods toward heaven heavenly father in the name of jesus lord we lift these hands to you knowing that they belong to you We pray that when we use them to shake the hands of a neighbor, that God, you'd fill our mouths with utterance. We pray, God, when you use our arms to embrace someone, to let them know Jesus loves them, we pray that you'd fill our mouths with utterance. We pray, oh God, as you use our legs to go to and fro and to take us from here to there, we pray, oh God, that you would fill our mouths with utterance. God, when we pray for people, We pray that souls would come into the kingdom, the brokenhearted would be made whole, that lives would be instantly changed as we speak words of life. We worship you. We thank you, Almighty God, the matchless name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Last thing I want us to do, last thing I want us to do. Just for a few moments, create a garden of praise for him. You say, what's a garden of praise? Each one of us just take about 30 seconds to a minute and just begin to thank him for whatever comes to your mind that you believe has been a blessing to you. Sometimes we need to restore an attitude of gratitude rather than being grumblers, being selfish. If you're happy about your home, your car, your family, your kids, your spouse, if you're happy that you've got friends that love God with your own lips, let's just take, take time to thank God right now. Heavenly Father, thank you right now, oh God, that we can create this time of praise for you. You've been wonderful to us. I praise you, almighty God, for opening my eyes today and allowing me to have my health and strength being in my right mind today. Father, I thank you that you're the very core of my being. Thank you for my wife, oh God. Thank you for our home, for our vehicles, Lord. Thank you, oh God, for the food in our cupboards, for the many clothes that are in our closets. Father, we thank you that we live in a community that's safe. We thank you that we have a place to worship you. We thank you for friends that love and adore you, oh God. We thank you for this opportunity again to come out and worship you and praise your mighty name. How wonderful you are. Blessed be the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Folks, you're victors, you're not victims. Amen? Amen. 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 You're victors, you're not victims. you want to hear about victims, all you got to do is watch the news. That stuff is on all the time. But we are victors. Well, bless the Lord. Turn, give somebody a handshake, and say.